Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Hey there, how are you? Tuesday edition of the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK, and Sean Carey. Steve on his way into the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai, and the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors, Kia, on the strip routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Lots of ways to get in contact with us. Our email is stevejones at wkok.com. You can also like and follow us on social media. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Twitter handle at stevejonespsu. And you can subscribe to our Steve Jones Show podcast from stevejonesshow.com. we got three months of shows always archived there. And you can also listen to past shows on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, and Google Play. Just search Steve Jones Show. If you happen to listen to us on iTunes, don't hesitate to leave us a review. Help us get the word out. We appreciate that. NBA Finals continue tomorrow. Reed Forgrave, NBA writer, CBSSports.com, scheduled to join us at 3.35. We'll also have baseball talk next hour. We'll be talking the Pirates with Chris Mack from Sports Radio 93.7, The Fan in Pittsburgh, and the Pittsburgh Pirates Radio Network. So C-Mack will join us. And we also have more baseball talk scheduled for tomorrow. R.J. Anderson's going to return to the show. MLB writer from CBSSports.com. And we'll be talking some Philly sports, too, in the days ahead here on the show. By the way, we won't have a show on Thursday. Phillies have a day game scheduled on Thursday at Wrigley. And they'll start that three-game set with the Chicago Cubs tonight. On deck, we'll get rolling at 7.30 with Jim Jackson. And then Scott Fransky at Wrigley, 8.05. Be your first pitch tonight here on WKOK. John Lester took a no-hitter into the sixth inning in Sunday's game the Chicago Cubs had. They're going to turn to Kyle Hendricks tonight and try to keep that rolling for the Chicago Cubs. So we'll have that for you tonight. Coverage will start at 7.30. Uh, 8.05 first pitch. Zach Eflin be on the mound for the Phillies. One and two and five starts this season. Four and a half ERA. Looking for his first victory since May the 7th. And this will be his second career start against the Cubs. 3.86 ERA. So you got Phillies Cubs tonight. And the governor of Delaware is going to bet 10 bucks on the Phillies tonight. Historic day in the United States of America today. Of course, we told you this a few weeks ago when the Supreme Court handed down a landmark ruling allowing states to set their own laws for sports gambling. And as of 1.30 this afternoon, 
legal sports betting kicked in in Delaware at their state's three casinos. Delaware Governor John Carney putting a $10 bet on the Phillies tonight over the Cubs. So place your bets. Sad note from the NFL yesterday, San Francisco's uh, 49er legend Dwight Clark passed away at the age of 61. Family confirming that early yesterday evening. All pro and two-time Super Bowl champion, Clark was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a little over a year ago. Official announcement from the San Francisco 49ers, we have suffered a tremendous loss on the passing of Dwight Clark. We extend our condolences and prayers to Dwight's wife, Kelly, his family, friends, and fans as we join together to mourn the death of one of the most beloved figures in 49ers history. Clark was on the receiving end of the iconic game-winning touchdown, the catch. The 1981 NFL Championship game, the era-defining play, shifted the balance of power in the NFC. Signifying the end of the 70s reign by the Cowboys and launching the 1980s 49ers dynasty. Yeah, uh, that did that catch did for the 49ers what um, Franco Harris's immaculate reception did for the Steelers. Now, the difference is the Steelers did not win the Super Bowl that year. They lost to the undefeated Miami Dolphins in the AFC Championship game at home the next week but uh it still gave them that that championship um wow you know when we can do things when we need to do it like big things the Clark catch did that i mean i you know you look at the signature plays in the history of the nfl uh obviously the uh, the overtime game, Giants and the and the Colts in '58. Alan Amici, the uh, Heisman Trophy winner from Wisconsin, scoring the game-winning touchdown. But you know, for Johnny Unitas, I mean, it, it really like, introduced the NFL to many across the country. Bart Starr's quarterback sneak to win the uh, championship game on New Year's Eve '67 in Green Bay, frozen tundra, and all that stuff did all that. Uh, the Franco Harris immaculate reception signature play forever propelled the Steelers really into their championship years. And then, of course, Dwight Clark, the catch, which propelled the 49ers. Because remember, the, 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 what, the, the, each one of those moments I talked about, the, Colts-Giants game, game was tied. Obviously, it was overtime. Packers were behind. Drove, quarterback sneak, won it. All right. The Raiders had just taken the lead in the Steelers. Boom. Harris catches it. They won it. The Cowboys had just taken the lead on the 49ers. And Joe Montana, using, especially using Ricky Patton in the backfield, dinked and dunked their way down the field. And then, you know, Clark, they claim that he got up 11 feet in the air to make the catch. 11 feet. Okay. And uh, that propelled the 49ers into their Super Bowl era. And you're not going to get... 
Hey, those are just some of the signature plays in the history of the game right there. I think, for example, years from now, say 10 years from now, we're going to look back at the touchdown pass by Trey Burton to Nick Foles as one of those. Even The, the difference was it was the end of the half and not the end of the game. That's the big difference. Big, big difference. Yeah, I was starting to go back in time last night. Oh, what were some of the greatest plays in NFL history? And, and yeah, you automatically you know drift back to you know the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And probably another play, too, that happened uh, a little over 10 years ago now, uh, that David Tyree catch for the Giants where he wedged the ball in his helmet. Yeah, but again, he didn't scoop. But see, all the plays that we've been talking about were all scores. Right. That the David Tyree catch is not a score. Right. Right. It is a remarkable play. Uh, it's a remarkable play, but it's not the score. I mean, we've had a lot of great plays in the history of the game. Where I mean, Lynn Swan's catching the Super Bowl against the Cowboys down the middle is phenomenal. Okay, we remember it, but it's not a score. The plays we talked about were all. Each play I talked about was a game-winning score at the most dramatic moment. There's the big difference right there. Big difference. Now, the Eagles play was at the end of the half. It's not the game-winning score. And you think of game-winning defensive plays like Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl at the goal line. Okay, game-winning play. But those are some of those plays right there. Uh, the I thought the Phillies made a heck of a pick with the first, third overall pick in the draft. Take a look at that. The Bond kid. This guy played at the number two level in Nebraska in high school ball in the Omaha area. He only had one offer coming out of high school because I think because of the level he was playing at. And I think he went, went, went to Wichita State. It was the only offer he had. He did well where he's all, uh, you know, all freshman team. And there have been some talk about putting him in the Cape Cod League after his freshman year. And instead, they put him into the Coastal League in North Carolina, which is also a wooden bat league, and he, you know, he tears it up. Well, then he goes through another year. Now, last year, they put him in the Cape League, in the Cape Cod League with Falmouth. He, he tore it up. I mean, I, now I don't know if he's a third baseman moving forward, but he's probably an outfielder. Probably an outfielder. But the Phillies, I think the Phillies have drafted really well. And Mickey Boniak, I think it was a is has a chance to be a really good player. This kid, that pick, I really liked a lot. Now, can they get these guys to the majors fast enough to do this magic? I don't know. But I can see that kid being in Williamsport. I can see that kid being in Williamsport. That's a good pick. Yeah, you're right. It'll be interesting to see if they do keep him at third base, just for the fact that, not that third base has been a revolving door, but since Scott Rowland, they haven't really had a good lockdown third baseman, like a very, very good one. Uh, they've gone through quite a few, like Plaza del Polanco, uh, Cody Ashey, David Bell. So, But you're right. Let's see how it pans out. But... Uh... A lot of time well, between, the, a lot, a lot of time between now and when he gets up to the show. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, that's one thing about this draft here, the Major League Baseball draft. These guys are years away from 
It's not like the NFL draft where you're looking around saying, okay, so we got Barkley now. All right. All right. Now, okay, we got Deshaun Hamilton. I mean, he can probably fill the roles or slot receiver now. Or it's not like the NBA draft where, you know, Cleveland's sitting there with the eighth overall pick and they may want to pick a point guard because they desperately need a point guard. So if LeBron stays, they can, you know, you know, they can take LeBron off the ball. I mean, that's the difference. This is years. High school players will go down to Florida if they decide not to go to college. College players will go straight to the New York Penn League, usually. You saw the kid last year that uh, was the first-round pick of the Phillies playing up at Williamsport. He was terrific. Terrific. Now, but he's taking a level at a time. But... That's, uh, I thought it was a good pick. But Alex Baum, interesting path to get him to the Phillies. Very interesting path. He was not drafted out of high school. Wasn't drafted. Some of these guys, some of these college guys, you notice, were drafted out of high school but opted for college. He was not. So he ended up going to Wichita State, and guess what? He's the third overall pick in the draft. Terrific story about him. Terrific. Alec Baum. It's, uh... Oh, boy, I'll tell you, it's awful about Dwight Clark. You're talking about ALS. I mean, Jack Ham and I were talking on the phone earlier today about, about Matt Millen, you know, what Matt's gone through. You look at, for example, Tim Shaw. Tim Shaw battling ALS. Steve Smith, great fullback in the 80s for Penn State, battling ALS. I mean, I mean it's, you're trapped in your own body, for goodness sakes. You see Dwight Clark going up to make the catch. And if you saw Dwight Clark six months ago at that reunion they had, I mean, it it just makes you want to cry. Makes you want to cry. And Clark was was a tremendous receiver anyway, beyond just the catch. He's just a good football player. Yeah, for those who didn't hear the backstory about the reunion, Eddie DeBartolo set it up uh, at his ranch in of Montana, course. and pretty much everybody, everybody close to him just dropped everything and had to go see him. And, they, and, and Eddie, yeah. Eddie DeBartolo paid for everybody to be there. Yeah. Okay, Eddie DeBartolo paid. I mean, whatever you may think about him, so why, why you wonder why the players loved him? He's a player's guy. Eddie DeBartolo paid, and all those guys were like, "Hey, I'm going." They all showed up. Got a hold of Keena Turner, who's in the 49ers organization. That's what they wanted to do. They all came back for it. Yeah. They missed that play. The Cowboys go to the Super Bowl. You know, Montana rolled out. He's got two tall Jones in his face. Throws it to a spot. Dwight Clark makes the catch. And you know what makes it even more interesting? You know who called it? Vince Scully. Vince Scully was the play-by-play guy for CBS that day. <laughs> Amazing, huh? But that 
Franco's immaculate reception. Stars quarterback sneak in the in the tundra. Then before you know, not before I was born, but before you were born, Colts winning in overtime. Man, to me those are, those are the some of the signature moments. You know, and it's interesting. One won a championship. The other three propelled teams. It propelled the Packers to another championship game. It propelled the Niners to their first Super Bowl. I think I feel like the Immaculate Reception propelled the Steelers into their Super Bowl era, even though they didn't get to the Super Bowl that year. I mean, to me, those are the iconic plays in the history of the game. And it's amazing because they're all plays. It's not like Adam Venateri kicks a field goal to win the Super Bowl. That was remarkable for New, for New England. But you don't think about, oh, yeah, they wanted a field goal. I mean, like a touchdown, like, whoa. I mean, that's a play. Field goal is kind of like a pit stop at the Indy 500. The cars aren't moving. Uh, oh, well. oh, stop laughing. No change. <laughs> no change. Hit the gas. But don't go over the speed limit in the pits. Dr. Lab. Oh, for goodness sakes, get into the freaking pits. <laughs> okay. Get some gas, get some tires, get back out on the racetrack. All right. We have to slow down to 20 miles per hour. It's kind of like you in a cul-de-sac. We'll come back with more in a moment. You're on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key, it's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. More with Chris Mack joining us in the next half hour on the Major League Baseball draft, of which you will not get the fruits of that labor for several years, but we'll talk about it anyway. Very pleased for the next few minutes to be joined by Reed Forgrave from Cleveland, who's the NBA writer for CBSSports.com. Reed, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. How are you? Good. Great to be with you, Reed, and great that you take a few minutes out for us today, especially when it's so busy out there. Uh, give me the line in the sand for the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, when it comes to Wednesday night's game. Oh, gosh. I mean, I think... 
first of all, they played. It's not like they can't win a game in this series. We, they have the blueprint. They that, that game one, they should have won. They had that game robbed from them, both by the officials and from their own ineptitude in those last 36 seconds of that wild, wild fourth quarter. Um, but really what it comes down to is they have to be more physical. That's really, other than LeBron James being LeBron James, uh, the only advantage other than LeBron James that the Cavs have in this series is they're bigger, they're stronger, they're more physical. And they, they spoke about this earlier today when they were doing media stuff. Uh, LeBron said game one uh, of the very first round, their very first playoff game this year against the Indiana Pacers, they got out physical. And what LeBron said was that was their wake-up call. Like, that was when they realized, oh, yeah, these are the playoffs. The playoffs have begun. And ever since then, they've set the tone with a much more physical play. I thought they really lost that in game two, uh, so they need to get back to that. And it's going to be even more difficult to get back to it if Andre Iguodala plays. And Iguodala has been upgraded from doubtful to questionable, so there's a chance he may play tomorrow night. Okay, well, that and again, that's been part of, I think, the theme of the playoffs. is It's not just who's been there, but who hasn't been there. There's been, you know, obviously no Chris Paul, no Andrea Guadalla, no Kyrie Irving. It's been almost like who hasn't been there, that swung series in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, honestly, it's weird. You look back at that Western Conference Finals, which I was at, and I believe if Chris Paul had been healthy, we'd be having Rockets Cats in yeah. the NBA Finals. But then the flip side of the equation is like, okay, if we're going to play the what-if game, then what if Andre Iguodala hadn't gotten hurt in the first place? Cavs would have won in five. Or, I'm sorry, the Warriors would have won that series in five. So there are tons of what-ifs that we can always play here. But, yeah, this whole NBA season has really been marked by by injuries. Like, literally from five minutes into the first game of the season when Gordon yeah. Hayward, one of the marquee free agents, uh, has this horrific injury. We've had so many throughout the season star players who've been either season-ending injuries, Kristaps Porzingis, DeMarcus Cousins, or things that have really thrown teams off their flow. And I think that's a big reason for the Warriors' sort of up-and-down choppy season was because Steph Curry was hurt quite a bit. Kevin Durant had some injuries. Clay Thompson, who's never hurt, he was hurt a bit during the regular season. So that has been one of the, the hallmarks of this year. I wanted to follow up on that because I feel Steph Curry obviously had the nine threes. We know that. But I think the first two games he's played well. He doesn't have to defend Kyrie Irving like he did the three previous ones, and you and I both know that takes a lot of energy to do. Has that been a factor in a fresher Steph Curry that we're seeing, besides the fact that he was out a long period of time? Yeah, I mean, he's also had to switch on to LeBron, LeBron James and James Harden from time to time, so that can be pretty exhausting. But, yeah, yeah, I think the time off is a big part of it. And Kyrie, he's just when you're defending Kyrie is such a – high-intensity defensive assignment for Steph. Uh, and it's funny, like, we look at this narrative, and look, if, if the series ended after two games, Steph Curry, NBA Finals MVP. We'll see if he gets there eventually. Um, and I've been asked by a couple people, does that change the narrative of Steph's career? And I, you know, I was like, wow, was he really that bad in the past three finals? I look it up. He's averaged no. 38.5% from three or higher in each of the past three finals. I think last year's finals, he had or he had 22 points per game, but he had like 26 and 29 uh, points per game in the other two finals. So he hasn't been bad at all in the finals. He's been Steph Curry. Um, it's just he's been 
overshadowed by, frankly, Iguodala winning MVP that first year, uh, which was this weird, like, LeBron averaged 35 points per game, and somehow it was like Iguodala helped shut LeBron <laughs> down. That's how great LeBron is. And overshadowed by Kevin Durant's awesome this last year. Yeah. Well, we expect every Curry shot to go in. I mean, that that's a, that's his own doing. I mean, that's, that's what it what, comes down that's to. That's what's so special about games at Oracle Arena because with each step shot, and when he gets on one of those runs, it just gets louder and louder and louder. And when you're when you're the road team in that environment, you just feel like the world's caving in on you. I, I know in my work in college football and college basketball, uh, in doing play by play. One thing I've noticed, and I think the NFL has been more guilty of this than anybody, they've, they've tried to take instant replay and make it something that we're trying to make every call perfect. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. And to me, I don't know how you feel, Reed, but to me, that's not the intent of it. It's to take care of egregious errors. Uh, but it, go ahead. I say it's taking the drama. It's taking the drama out of the game to some extent. Like every. I agree. I agree with that. Football. Every touchdown, it's like okay, let's wait to see if it actually was a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes the it takes the cheering out of the game. Like I, we think we think we're happy, uh, but when you saw what they did at the end of game one, officiating wise, how did you view that? This is not going to be a knock on the NBA, but by uh, something like that where they're determining a foul. So, I first of all, let me uh, on the first place. I'd much rather just not have replay and just leave it all up to the human element and have the mistakes mm-hmm. that go with it because like. Look, Don Dankinger screwed up a call in 1985 and cost in the World Series, but it's a great story, and we remember it forever. Uh, I'd I'd much rather not have replay. There's no putting the toothpaste back in that tube. We have technology. We have replay. We have to figure out the appropriate ways to use it, and I'm with you. Like, I ultimately, and smart minds disagree on this point, I ultimately think it was a blocking foul on LeBron James. His body was moving. His feet weren't set. Mm Mm-hmm. Javi, uh, old NBA head of referees, said in real time, that's a charge. That's the definition of a charge. But when you're parsing it frame by frame, it changes the whole discussion. And it changes it into a discussion that, frankly, I don't want to have. And the worst, to me, the look, the NFL is the most egregious about it. NBA has clearly, uh, I, I think, abused it to some extent, not to the extent that the NFL does. But the perfect example of replay gone too far comes from Major League Baseball. And it's when guys overslide the bag ever so slightly (laughs) and the second baseman just holds the tag for an extra two seconds and if your hand pops up for an eighth of a second you're out that's not the spirit of the game and i think that when we're having the replay discussion we need to always talk about like is this in the spirit of the game and not just parsing everything frame by frame by frame What's it been like covering this finals? Because you've already had LeBron James walk out of a press conference, which if I were in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. Uh, you know, I mean, there's only there's only 18 different ways to ask the question. Okay, um, you know, Tristan Thompson. By, by, like, by the way, I, I do think that question maybe inartfully phrased, but that was the only important question to be asked at that press conference is. Essentially, it's what did LeBron think of J.R. Smith's bonehead mistake. Like, that was the most – it wasn't phrased the right way, but it was the right question. And LeBron, yeah, you yeah, shouldn't have asked it four or five times the exact same way. It was the problem. Right. And it, but, but it wasn't really asking – he didn't even ask him, though, what he thought of what J.R. Smith – he was trying to get – you know, I, uh, what, what was J.R. Smith thinking? 
Yeah, well, get how the heck does head. he know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought uh, there was. I mean, LeBron knew which what question he was trying to ask, right? And he could have just answered the question that that everyone yeah. wanted to know. And I think well, LeBron was pissed off at that moment. We by now we've all seen this video uh, of the Cleveland bench between the end <laughs> of the first quarter yes. and the beginning of overtime, and it was just devastated, absolutely devastated. Like trying to process their emotions in the you know, most bungled 36 seconds of basketball that we've ever seen. Um, but so I, don't, I almost don't blame either of these guys. The reporter was getting at the right question, and LeBron, he just said maybe the most difficult loss of his illustrious career, and he was pissed yeah. off at the world, so he was taking his pissed offness out on the media. <laughs> what has it been like, because it is the fourth time around, to cover this? Yeah, you know, so this is actually, I, I just switched over to covering the NBA. I had been a college basketball writer, so this is actually my first NBA Finals. And so my first NBA Finals game that I've ever covered was just fraught <laughs> with controversy and drama and suspense. Incredible game, incredible yeah. storyline. Game two was just a complete snoozer. It, you, you felt like the Cavs <laughs> with that J.R. Smith play. Uh, and it wasn't just J.R., by the way. Like, his is the most... Uh, prominent, the most obvious. There was George Hill missing yeah. the free throw. It was the ref screwing him over. And frankly, it was LeBron not being the leader that he should have been on the bench and frankly not calling a timeout. There were a lot of people on that court and on that bench that could have called a timeout but didn't. Um, so the blame goes a lot bigger than J.R. Smith. But uh, boy, to go from that sort of dramatic game <laughs> to a game where the Cavaliers just it felt like their soul had been destroyed from the way that game one ended and they just weren't there for game two wow well i know you only had a limited window to be with us we really appreciate the time you gave us today i enjoyed it very much reed thanks so much best of luck the rest of the way we look forward to having you on again all right sounds great man thank you reed Forgrave joining us from cbssports.com on the nba finals he's right game one had every box you could possibly check to cover and game two had, uh, yeah, the Warriors won. That's the only box there was to check. <laughs> Tomorrow night is the line in the sand game. And even if Cleveland wins, they have the line in the sand all over again in game four. They have to win both games at home. Then to have any shot. Realistic. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more in a moment. Uh, Chris Mack, next tax half hour on the Major League Baseball draft. We'll talk about that as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Talk about the Major League Baseball draft in a little bit. You know, it's uh, you look at um, um, the uh, Major League Baseball draft is is about as the tougher road because it's just a longer road. Uh, football has probably more has a better. I'd say basketball. If you're a first round pick. You're pretty much barring injury longevity. You really have to play yourself out of the league in the NBA. The NFL, you got a decent shot at longevity if you're a first-round pick. 
Baseball, nobody knows. I mean, it's such a long road. You've got to go through the minor leagues and so forth. Now, the single most interesting pick in the opening round was the ninth overall pick, Kyler Murray, by the Oakland A's. And Kyler Murray is slated to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma this year. The A's say they're okay with him playing football. Now, you already have, of course, the debate happening as we speak about whether Kyler Murray should play college football. Now, he's slotted at $4.7 million as the ninth overall pick. That's his slot. And, I mean, he can sign with the A's. In fact, if he were, he probably would start the season in Vermont in the New York Penn League. But he wants to play football this year. Now, is Murray a pro prospect for the NFL? Not really. He has great speed. He reportedly has been clocked at 428. 428. You know, last time I saw that kind of speed, I put a dollar down at the 40-yard line in the, the suit. I mean, you should tell me, when, when there's cash in the line, I mean, you want to talk about moving. All right? I remember, remember he had said he had a back problem at the golf tournament? That's right. I dropped a $5 bill, instant cure. <laughs> By the way, since we're talking baseball draft, we want to say congratulations to Shikalami graduate Nick Dunn. Got word earlier yeah. this afternoon he was chosen 153rd overall by Great. the St. Louis yeah. Cardinals. Uh, standout second baseman for the University of Maryland. He's now playing summer ball in the Cape Cod League. Well, you know what? If Nick signs, guess where he's going to go? State College? Yes. There you go. If you're a college player selected, normally you go to the New York Penn League. There you go, Braves fans. Pay close attention. Take a road trip to Happy Valley this summer. Watch Nick play. Hopefully it all pan out. Because he's at Maryland right now, correct? So he's he's at the University of Maryland now, right? Because I know he's playing in the Cape Cod League. Where, where's yes. he playing in the Cape? Do we know? Uh, just uh, from what I got, Cape Cod League. Didn't catch any specifics as to which team. Didn't, as to which team, okay. Yeah. Well, if he signs with the Cardinals, he'd be coming here. Um, at least I think he would be. Uh, but Kyler Murray is in an interesting spot. He is slated to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. He's 5'11", great speed. In the NFL, I cannot envision him at all being a quarterback. He'd have to change positions. Uh, slot receiver, scat back, DB, something. But probably not a quarterback. But he wants to play football, and the Oakland A's are saying, hey, look, you know, we don't mind, he can play football. And by the way, he can sign with Oakland and still play football. You can sign a baseball contract for $4.7 million and still play college football. So don't, I mean, no need to get into the debate about that. You can do it. His scholarship is in football. Since his scholarship is in football, what he does in baseball does not affect what he does in football. He was a really, really talented high school player. He went to Texas A&M 
but he didn't play baseball at Texas A&M. He then transferred to Oklahoma, and backing up Baker Mayfield, he also got the chance to play baseball again. Many thought he would be a first-round pick, but many thought he'd be in the 20 to 30 range. He ended up being ninth overall. Now, by being, if you're in the 20 to 30 range, say you're the 28th pick, your slot is like 2.2 million. Okay. But if you're the ninth overall pick, your slot is slightly better than 4.7 million. Hmm. I'm glad Oakland's encouraging him to play football. I'm glad they are being an open organization because you know what? I think they're going to get get a happier player with no regrets as opposed to forcing him to do one or the other. Because it's not as if in the Major League Baseball draft that you are drafted like the NFL or the NBA and you go straight to the league. There's going to be a process you have to go through to get to the league. For a guy like Murray, it could be two, three years. For some others, it's maybe four or five years. But for a guy like Murray, it could be two years, maybe three. So... Let him play football. Now, you're going to hear, as usual, and justifiably, the risk of injury. What if he breaks an arm? What if he breaks an ankle? What if he breaks a collarbone? I got that. But I am not a believer in bubble wrapping people. Oh, something good happened. Bubble wrap him. I mean, my goodness, he could get in his car tonight and, and something bad could happen. My goodness, I almost, I almost got hit making a left turn into my own driveway on Sunday. Because because a kid on a side street decided to pass me on the left as I was making the turn into my own driveway. Okay, so this happens. Okay, life happens. And I know that I know there's a risk to it, but I believe that if I'm the Oakland A's, I believe I'm getting a happier, more content prospect that has no regrets. that will then pour his heart and soul into what we're doing in Oakland. He's going to feel better about our organization because we handled it this way. Oh, by the way, Nick Dunn, three years under his belt in Maryland and was playing at Brewster in the Cape Cod League. The Brewster Whitecaps. Brewster Fish Fish House, by the way, on 6A. Outstanding. Uh... Well, that if he signs his contract, he's coming here. I feel, how about 80% sure of that? How about that? Just based on knowledge of the league and how it works. That'd be something else, wouldn't it? My goodness, I'd be the only broadcaster in America that knew how to pronounce shikalemi. <laughs> Ah, you know, the, the difference is that when it comes to baseball, I will have announced his games and somebody else would have blown him off. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.